Section twenty of Mornings at Bow Street by John White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. O'Flynn and his friend's mistress, Miss Susanna Smith, a very pretty young woman, attired in the newest fashion, was brought before the magistrate on an assault warrant issued at the suit of one Mr. O'Flynn a tall, well-dressed, sprightly native of the Emerald Isle, who had complained to his worship that he had been grievously assaulted by the said Susanna. Mr. William O'Flynn, it seems, had a friend who was the especial protector of the fair defendant. He went to the other night to deliver a letter to his friend at the house in which Susanna resides, his friend was not at home, but he saw Susanna, and she, totally laying aside the delicacy of her sex, and all the rest of it, gave him one of the most scurvy receptions imaginable. Viz. He was standing in the hall, inquiring at the landlady for his friend, when suddenly the parlor door opened, and out rushed Susanna, with the velocity of a nine-pounder. And pray what would you be after wanting with that gentleman? She asked, at the same time attempting to snatch the letter from Mr. O'Flynn's hand. It isn't yourself that the letter is for at all, my jewel, replied Mr. O'Flynn, slipping the letter into his pocket. And as for what I want with that gentleman, you have no right to be asking me the question. Faith! We'll see that, said the lady, and instantly placed her fair back against the front door, evidently with the intention of cutting off Mr. O'Flynn's retreat. Well, what was to be done now? It was growing late, and as Mr. O'Flynn very justly observed, if he was detained there, he could not go elsewhere. So, after trying what remonstrance would do, and finding it had no effect whatever, he took hold of the fair hand of the lady, and endeavored to remove her from the door by a little gentle force. But, to his utter astonishment, she instantly disengaged her hand, and in the twinkling of an eye, as it were, he received two or three sound boxes on either ear, and a kick on the abdomen, which for some moments materially interfered with his faculty of breathing. Astonished that a lady should kick, but nothing daunted, he again advanced to the attack, or, Corinthianly speaking, to the scratch, taking care this time, to advance in an attitude of defense. Ah, la spring! His caution was useless, however, for the lady broke through his guard in an instant, boxed his ears again soundly, or rather soundingly, and planted another kick on his bowel-case, with her dexterous little foot, in the self-same spot, as before. This was an extremely awkward bit of business, and Mr. O'Flynn felt it so. He could not, consistently with his character as a gentleman, and an Irish gentleman in particular, use greater violence to a lady, and he might have gone on, as before till he had not an ear left for her to box, or a pair of trousers for her to kick. He, therefore, declined coming to the scratch again, 
and contented himself with calling upon the calmly landlady of the dwelling, who all this while had been quietly holding the candle for them. He peremptorily told her commodious landladyship that unless he was instantly suffered to go about his business, he would consider himself as detained by her connivance, and have his action against her for false imprisonment accordingly. This produced the desired effect. The landlady interfered. A parley ensued, and at last Mr. O'Flynn was liberated. In support of this statement, Mr. O'Flynn called the landlady aforesaid. The landlady, an immense personage, declared she saw neither kicks nor slaps. Miss Susanna certainly put her back against the door to prevent Mr. O'Flynn from going, until she knew what he wanted with her friend and a sort of scuffle took place in consequence, and that was all she knew about it. Here Mr. O'Flynn lifted up his bands and eyes in astonishment, for as he said, the landlady held the candle to them all the while, and could not avoid seeing every bit of it. The magistrate now asked Miss Susanna what she had to say to it. The poor girl told a sad tale. She first burst into tears and for some seconds was unable to speak. She then spoke of her former respectable and happy situation in life before she became what she now is, a kept mistress. But, said she, Mr. has promised to marry me, and I trust in heaven he will. Here she wept again, and was proceeding to make some further general remarks when the magistrate desired her to confine herself to the charge of having assaulted Mr. O'Flynn. She then admitted having prevented Mr. O'Flynn's departure from the house, and said she was induced to do so, because she verily believed he came with the intention of injuring her, in the opinion of the only friend she had in the world, Mr. Her protector, as to the kicking, and she denied it, though not very positively she was ordered to find bail for her appearance at the sessions and mr o'flynn said he should certainly prosecute her but the magistrate told him he thought it would be better to let such an affair pass over without further notice jonas tonks mr jonas tonks a young gentleman in the jacket of diverse colors well-patched canvas trousers no stockings and shoes curiously contrived to let in the fresh air at the toes was brought before the sitting magistrate charged under the statute one george the fourth with wilfully and maliciously damaging the property of mrs deborah clutterbuck the comely landlady of a public-house in the purulus of st giles proper it appeared by the evidence of Mr. Jonathan Dobbs, an operative veterinarian, vulgo, a journeyman farrier, that Mr. Jonas Tonks, who is a wandering melodist, vulgo, a ballad singer, by profession, went into the public house in question, where Mr. Jonathan Dobbs and several other gentlemen were taking a dejeuner a la fourchette of sheep's head and pickled cabbage. He entered the room singing, at the very top of his voice, the favorite area. Oh, Judy, my darling, 
and one of the gentlemen politely desiring him to shut his potato-trap and not make such a noise he seized a pint of heavy and drank it off to the gentleman's better manners the gentleman to whom the heavy belonged now swore that mr jonas tunks should post the blunt for it that is to say he should pay for it but mr jonas tunks would do no such thing base is the slave that pays he exclaimed and immediately called for a quart turn of gin of three outs with which he offered to treat or as a corinthian would say to sluis the ivories of the gentleman present the gentleman however would not accept his treat and turn out the blackguard was the universal cry but mr jonas tunks was awake to the spree and before his enemies could say jack robinson he capsized three pots of heavy scattered the pickled cabbage upon the floor and very nearly bolted with the better half of a sheep's face but unfortunately just as he was clearing the threshold of the door he received the well-shod foot of the veterinarian in the rear about seven inches and a half below the waistband of his trousers and the concussion sent him half across the street without once touching the pavement the veterinarian and his friends nothing doubting but jonas was done with laughed aloud and returned into the house but jonas was not the man to walk off quietly under this dishonorable visitation of tanned calfskin and before their shout of laughter was over he had dashed six panes of glass to pieces in the front window of the house or to use a very expensive egonism he had milled the glaze gloriously he was immediately overpowered with numbers and handed over to the strong grasp of the police the magistrate having heard the complaint for the valiant jonas scorned to say a word in defence immediately sentenced him under the statue above mentioned to pay the value of the glass he had broken viz twenty-five shillings and in default of so doing he was consigned to three months imprisonment in bridewell now really this was a very ill-natured prosecution against mr jonas tunks for after all what was his offence but a trifling matter of black slum corinthianism as the great chronicler of life in london would phrase it a mere trifling evolution of vitality a slight manifestation of those lively principles which constitute a true corinthian whether in Dyot street or pall mall miss hannah maria juliana shum and her beau there was a damsel one miss hannah maria juliana shum charged by the books of covent garden watch-house with having robbed a young gentleman of a golden sovereign the young gentleman made such a pathetic appeal against the publication of his name being as he said a young man just verging into the affairs of the world that we shall content ourselves and our readers also we hope with saying he was simply a young gentleman of little person and that little made the most of secundum artem that is to say the bootmaker had lengthened him at one end and the hairdresser at the other whilst the tailor had done all that padding could do to increase his bulk longitudinally the damsel miss hannah maria juliana shum was not the purest damsel in existence perhaps certainly not the purest in attire and her face
pretty as it was, would have been all the prettier for a commodity of soap and water. But in describing the persons of this rather ill-matched pair, we shall forget their adventures. They were thus, then. The young gentleman left his home on the preceding night with the intention of going to the play. But in this way, thither, he met Miss Hannah Maria Juliana Shum, and she looked at him from under her black arched eyebrow, with such a look as he could in no wise resist. Now since he could not resist, he should have turned his back and fled. But instead of flying he stood still, and asked her how if she did. She replied that she should be very well if she was not so very cold. And sighing deeply, she added, Oh, what a delightful thing is a glass of nice hot brandy and water on such a piercing night as this. Here was a direct appeal to the young gentleman's generosity and gallantry and all that sort of thing and everything in the world almost and he could no more resist the appeal than he could the sparkling of her jet-black eye. So he gave her his arm and his heart together, and looking round, he saw the words, fine cognac brandy, neat as imported, staring him full in the face from the windows of a tavern, most opportunely opposite. What was to be said for it? Nothing at all. In his opinion, the brandy and water was inevitable, and they went into the tavern and drank a glass and so delightful did they find it that they had another and another and another but still as miss hannah maria juliana shum poetically remarked the sweetness that pleasure has in it is always so slow to come forth that they had another glass or two to help it to come forth faster and it did to such a degree that the young gentleman took up the song and sang as onward we journey how pleasant to pause and inhabit a while. These few gassy spots, like the present, that mid the dull wilderness smile. By and by, two other ladies, friends of Miss Hannah Maria Juliana Shum's, dropped in, and the gentleman assisting upon it. They also had some glasses of hot brandy and water, which they also found very delightful. In short, they were all so jocund that at length the gentleman made up his mind to make a night of it. But first, said he, I should like just to step home, and tell them not to sit up for me. Tell the devil, exclaimed Miss Hannah Maria Juliana Shum, that's all a hum, for if you goes away, you'll not come back again. The gentleman was shocked, but his love was not shaken, and he pledged his honor that he would return. Honor is all my eye, said the gentle Juliana Shum, pledge your honor indeed will you pledge a sovereign i will said the gentleman and he did for as we have already stated he was a young gentleman the ladies waited his return because they were not remarkably well able to go in consequence of the cognac how they amused themselves during his absence did not appear but when the gentleman returned he very naturally expected the return of his sovereign. And the ladies very naturally knew nothing about it. Whereupon the young gentleman's love exploded, with a bounce, and his love being all gone, he was ungallant enough to send his once love Miss Hannah Maria Juliana Shum, all brandy be gone as she was, to the watch-house. 
During the night, however, he repented himself of his cruelty, and he now told the magistrate that he did not wish to prosecute her. I am a young man, said he, just verging into the affairs of the world, and a business of this kind was such an ugly look with it, that I shall be much obliged to you, sir, if you will let the lady go. And I am sure she is very welcome to keep my sovereign, the gentle Juliana, seeing matters in this comfortable train. Ventured the tender the gentleman his sovereign again, which he was tenderly refused, and then the magistrate dismissed them both with a rather untender admonition. Roebuck versus Clancy Mr. Timothy Clancy, landlord of the Robin Hood public house in Holborn, appeared before Thomas Halls, Esquire, to answer the complaint of Mrs. Penelope Roebuck, a fine, bouncing, well-dressed dame, fat, fair, and forty. She had her left eye in deep mourning, and he had as many black patches on his face as the renowned Munchausen. May it please your worship, said Mrs. Penelope Roebuck, wiping her comely cheeks and bruised eye with a lavender-scented cambric handkerchief. May it please your worship, I am Mrs. Roebuck, the wife of Mr. Roebuck of Somers Town, and yesterday I walked all the way from Chelsea, which very much fatigued me, as your worship may suppose, and being fatigued, I went into Mr. Clancy's, for I had always understood Mr. Clancy to be a mighty nice sort of a man. And pray, Mr. Clancy, said I, would you have the goodness to make me sixpenthorth of brandy and water, warm with a little sugar in it? No, ma'am, said he. It is not in my power to make sixpenthorth of brandy and water. The duties are so high, but you may have eight pennorth. Very well, says I. It's quite hemitural. Make me eight pennorth. With that, your worship, he made me a very nice glass of brandy and water, and I sat myself down to take it by little and little. For I'm not a person what's given to take my liquor by lumps, but I had scarcely wetted my lips, when he took a very improper liberty, such a liberty, your worship, as I suffers, no man to take with me. He be whomsoever he may. And Mr. Clancy, says I, I shouldn't have thought of it from such a feller as you. I might have said something else, your worship, but that's neither here nor there. Mr. Clancy, without saying another word, good, bad, nor indifferent, had the goodness to come out of his bar, and turning my two hands behind my back, he conducted me out of the house, and had the goodness to fling me down on the hard pavement, by which, per light behavior, my eye was blacked. As you see, and my dress, worth at least five pounds, completely remolished. Mr. Timothy Clancy, mine host of the Robin Hood, in his defense, said Mrs. Roebuck, whilst drinking her brandy and water, abused his wife so grossly that he firmly but civilly desired to leave the house. But he had no sooner done so than she flung the goblet. She was drinking from in his face. The goblet struck him full on the nose, by which it was shivered to pieces, and his nose and face sadly cut in proof of these premises. He produced the broken goblet, 
and pointed to the black silk patches, which almost covered his countenance. I then, and not that then, said he, laid hands upon Mrs. Roebuck, and thrust her out of my house. And that, I assure your worship, was the only liberty I took with her. Mrs. Roebuck did not attempt to rebut this statement, and the warrant was discharged. End of section 20